All right, well, um, Billy's done a great job just the last couple of weeks kicking off this series uh, on radiance of his glory. And like he said, when we um, unveiled the vision statement for this church, and I kind of read through that document for you, the heart and the hope behind that was that we would be able to continue to journey on this in 2022 as a church family to really get clear on what is it that God is saying to us? Where is he taking us? Because any group of people, any organization does not have clarity on direction and purpose end up wavering and just kind of walking in circles. So we don't want to be people that are just kind of living day to day and figuring it out. We actually want to have a clear purpose. And so we feel like God has really given that to us. And really the goal in this series is uh, simply to be looking at what does it look like? What does it mean to be a radiant church? And how do we do that? How are we going to look at that? We're going to look at the gospels and we're going to take these eight weeks and looking at examples of Jesus Christ being radiant himself, but really as the model, as the leader, the example for us and how we are to radiate God's glory in a sense as the church, as the body of Christ, but by looking at him, the source, right? So we want to look at Jesus, the source, for how we are to radiate. <clears throat> and um, uh, the, the, the key kind of central passage in this series we're going with is Hebrews 1, 3. I know Billy shared it last week. It says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's the radiance of the glory of God. It is Jesus. Another scripture says, in him, the fullness of God dwelt. Like Jesus Christ showed us who God really is, right? Thomas, one of the disciples said, hey, show us the Father to be enough for us. And he said, I am he, I am Jesus. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's all you gotta know. So if you're wondering, man, I wonder what God is like. Then you just look at Jesus. Like, oh, that's what he's like. I wonder how God treats children. How did Jesus treat children? Right? I wonder how God treats women. How did Jesus treat women? I wonder how God dealt with pride and arrogance. Look at how Jesus dealt with pride and arrogance. You just look at everything. If you're ever asking the question, I wonder how God would do that. Oh, it's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Thank you, Lord, for giving it right there. Pretty much every single human interaction situation you will ever be in your life, I guarantee you, we can point back a direct correlation to Jesus Christ handling that very same thing. Which means you are not without hope and you don't have to be ignorant. You just got to read some and chew on it. Does it make any sense? So as Christians, you don't have the right to say, I don't know, no one told me that. It's because you didn't read. It's because you didn't ask the question. Because you went off someone's opinion. We want to go off Jesus Christ's lifestyle, not opinions of man, right? So we're going to look at Jesus and how do we be a radiant church. Not, it's not more lasers and smoke. I know some of y'all like that. We got some of that at times. You got to come to these encounter nights. We kind of do it upright. Okay. <clears throat> I've told the team Sunday morning, no smoke, no lasers. Okay. World mandate. We'll get the lasers going. It's fun. That kind of stuff. That's not the radiance of his glory. Those are called lasers. That's it, okay? The smoke is not the glory of God filling this room. It is manufactured smoke. Although the glory of God can show up in smoke, when that happens, you will know it's not manufactured. There you go. Just putting to rest any rumors out there about Antioch. You're laughing because you know it's true. All right, here we go. All right, <clears throat> Today, we're going to take a look at 
I will say, one of the most pivotal make-or-break moments in world history. That's a big statement. In the entirety of world history, this, to me, is one of the most pivotal make-or-break situations. All right, let's go to Matthew chapter 4. And if I cough a little bit, just get over it. I'm not going to get you sick. I just, it's hard to talk right now. Here we go. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Everybody say, boo. There you go. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. You would be too. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him up on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Verse 9, and he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. Everybody say boo. There we go. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil, everybody say boo. Boo. Left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. All right, you guys ready? We're going to break this down here about Jesus and the devil. Now, let's look at the first few verses, okay? Now, after Jesus, remember, this moment happens in the wilderness. Jesus shows up on the scene to the River Jordan. John the Baptist is there doing his thing, baptizing people, baptism of repentance, Jesus shows up. He's like, hey, John, I'm next in line. John's like, whoa, I can't baptize you. You're like the Messiah. I can't do that. He's like, no, this is the way it has to happen, John. And so he baptizes Jesus, comes up out of the water. God's voice appears. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. I bless him. Spirit of God comes down in the form of a dove. It's like power moment. It's like, this is awesome. Oh my gosh. And the next thing you read is like, and then he's whisked away by the spirit to the wilderness. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We had just, it's like we just kicked off the ball game and then it's what? Like he leaves. And so Jesus heads off to the wilderness, right? I don't know if that was pure desert. I don't know if there were some trees there. I don't know if there were some figs to eat or, and he was tempted by those. I don't really know. All that we know, he's off in the wilderness, which does not sound like a cozy place you want to be. And he then fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. Now that's a long time. Now Jesus, you have to think about this. He just identified with sinners in his baptism. And so now he's going to identify with them in his temptation, in his testing. To remember, everything Jesus did was a model for us so we can identify with him. Every other world religion says there's this God who's way out there who doesn't know us, doesn't connect with us. Christianity is different. 
God sent his son to earth to relate to us, identify us, know what it's like to live amongst us. Every other world religion, it's someone's out there, but he comes down here. It is Emmanuel, it is God with us. He's gonna show us how to do the stuff, how to live life on earth and still honor God and love God. That is what is so unique. It's not this distance thing, it's this closeness thing. So Jesus comes down, he then goes off in the wilderness, <clears throat> to be tempted, but to be tested as well. Now, we've got to consider the difference in the environments, right? That Jesus was just in versus the wilderness. You had the cool, fresh waters of the River Jordan, and now he's in the barren wilderness. You had the crowds and the sounds of the people. Now it's isolation and silence. You had the voice of the Father blessing him. And now you've got the voice of Satan tempting him. He was submerged in water. Now he's thirsting just for a drop. You had the light shining in this moment. Now the darkness is closing in. This is the wilderness experience for Jesus. Now some biblical scholars will argue that the word in here for temptation is actually more so meaning testing. So however you want to look at it, they would say, hey, it's actually there's a test of Jesus happening here that God ordained so that he could show us how to identify with temptation and resisting the devil. So the fasting that Jesus did, we have to remember, it wasn't just like this self-denial to puff himself up or, um, or for spiritual pride, right? Really, this whole experience, it is a forced dependence upon God. Like he is forcing himself to depend upon God, the spirit of God, the word of God, feasting on that so that he can make it. He's showing us that it's possible on this earth to live in this way, even at the most hungry, desperate place that God is enough. He is enough. Doesn't have to be God plus. It could be God only. Now, God's goal when he puts us through trials <clears throat> is that we go through the fire of that trial, and then as a result of that, we become more refined. Another word for this would be progressive sanctification, in the sense that we are continually sanctified in Christ. Yes, forgiven at the cross for the point of salvation, but then we live a life in pursuit of him, becoming more sanctified, more holy and righteous in the way that we are like him. Another way to put it is, there's a lifestyle just being more Christ-like, that that should be day-to-day, -day, that I've never, honestly, I've never met someone that, um, uh, that has arrived. Even the greatest, even whoever you're thinking of, that that great Christian, that great missionary, that person, that revivalist, that whoever, could be your parent, could be your grandpa, they never arrived. Because the, the life we're meant to live is continually growing in Christ's likeness until our very last breath. Now, the devil, or diabolos, means a false accuser, slanderer. Another way to put it is one who utters false charges or misrepresentations which damage another's representation. So we'll just put it this way. He's... Um, he is a false accuser, a slanderer, a liar, right? Remember that. That is the devil. That is his nature. He can't get around that. That is him all the time, right? He may try to deceive us and think of something else, but that is the essence of who he 
is. Another way to put it is Satan tempts to bring out the bad, but God tests to bring out the good. That's what the devil does. He wants to destroy you. God does not want to destroy you. He wants to test you to strengthen you. He wants to get you in the weight room. You know what I mean? Like he, wa he wants you to get swole, right? He wants you to get fit. He wants you to get lean. Like that is God. He's like, come on now, let's go. We got a race to run. The devil's like, no, just sit around and keep eating those potato chips. Don't worry about it. Never exercise, never drink water, soda, 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 right? <laughs> Sleep all day, don't work, be lazy, be self-absorbed, do what you want to do, right? Like, that is the devil. The Lord is like, no, I did not give you this body to sit around lazy. Go do something with your life because I have a great plan for you. But when we are deceived and they're thinking there is no plan, we have no worth, we have no value, we end up being on the potato couch, right? That is not God. God is saying, I will test you. It's going to be hard. Oh, but man, the way is narrow and hard that leads to life. The way is broad and easy and full of potato chips leads to destruction. I like potato chips. I'm just saying, don't eat them all the time, all right? Portions. Now, we've got to remember, why is this such an important point in world history? Because Jesus here, as he's being tempted by the devil and tested by God, you have to understand that if he gave in to one single inch, if he gave an inch, it's over. If he gave in to one temptation of the devil and that led to sin, the game is over. He is not savior. He has officially disqualified himself. He is DQ'd. There is no savior. It's it. That's it. Devil wins. Game over. You have to know that. Jesus, one sin was enough to disqualify him from being the savior for all humanity. That's brutal. He came on this earth, which is filled with brokenness all around us. We live in it. We have experienced it, right? He walked in this world and still abstained. We need to remember that, that it's possible to live a life worthy of the calling. It's possible to live a life where you're not giving in to every temptation along the way. That being said, there's only one Savior, only will be one Savior in world history. That's Jesus Christ. There are no second Jesuses. There's no one else. There may be some really great people, some really holy, sanctified people, but all of them had to be sanctified by Christ, not by their own efforts. All right, so let's jump in these temptations. Are you guys ready? All right, temptation one. The devil says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. I love bread. Now, if you said to me, I'd say, oh, man, we're thinking sourdough, rosemary, rustic whole wheat. I mean, Jesus may not have liked bread, but I bet he did because the devil came after, you know, it'd be like, for like my wife, be like, hey, turn this into chocolate, you know? And it's like, he knew. It's like, Jesus liked bread. You know he liked bread. Because he would not have tempted him with like broccoli. Turn this into broccoli. <laughs> Jesus would be like, no, that sounds stupid. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Try again, right? No, but bread is delicious. If you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live, on, live by bread alone, 
but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, the devil is not questioning the validity of Jesus as the Son of God when he's saying, if you are the Son of God. He's more so saying, since you are the Son of God, then prove it. Prove it, right? Now, what would be wrong with Jesus turning these stones into bread? Or, like, would that be sinful for him? He's starving. I mean, 40 days, like, you got much longer? I don't know if you're going to make it, you know? Um, so he's hungry. Would it be wrong? Would it be sinful, right? Because Satan is saying, hey, why are you going to starve yourself to death? Right? He's really good at, at slipping in there questions that make us question God, right? Remember the Garden of Eden? Did he really say, don't eat from that tree? He's real sneaky. He says, here, hey, just turn it into bread. But Jesus' response, it actually comes from a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. Here's what he quotes, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Isn't that powerful? Jesus is in the wilderness, not 40 years, 40 days. He literally is quoting a scripture, a passage, shoving it back in the devil's face, saying, hey, God's already spoken about this. This is what the word says, that man will not, he will live by the word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, not live on bread alone. Man, he knew the word. And this whole thing, we're going to see Jesus is combating the lies of the devil with the truth. And I just want to say, pause if I get to this later, in the Christian life, your main weapon is truth. It's truth. It's not your own willpower. It's not your giftings. It's not that. It's the truth. Truth, it just comes at it. It's the sword. It just, right? It just is able to slice through. Truth is your primary weapon. But if you don't know the truth, then you got nothing to fight with. You just got opinions and preferences and feelings. But that's not truth. Truth is what Jesus shows us. We can identify with him when we are tempted to fight back with truth against the lies. <clears throat> you see, the hunger here in Jesus, it represents the human wants and desires, right? To have food to fill our bellies. But Jesus is demonstrating here, why did he not turn the stones into bread? Well, for one, he is demonstrating he is going to submit to the will of the Father, the way of the Father the timing of the Father. It's his will, his way, his timing. And it's not that Jesus was refusing supernatural help. As we'll see at the very end here, what happens is the angels come down and actually minister to him. Then he gets fed and taken care of and he's all good to go. But it wasn't that time yet, right? The angels weren't right there fighting with him, with the devil. It was Jesus, it was mano y mano is what we can see. You know why he does that? Because I think God wants us to know, hey, you can be mano y mano. When you're filled with the Spirit, have the truth, mano y mano. I've heard enough stories in my 39 years of life, which is not long to some of you, longer than others, to know there are countless stories of people I know on this planet that have gone mano y mano with demonic forces, and you know what their weapons have been? Truth. 
And it's not their gang of 20 people. It's like, bring it on. And the demonic forces are very real and very powerful and very scary. And I won't get into that today, but they exist. Let's just be honest. We don't see them in America a lot in the way that they are, but go to other countries and they're real. But you fight that with truth and the spirit of God. It's the word and the spirit together is how you combat that. So Jesus here is showing us, though, in the wilderness, at his most desperate, hunger, hungry place, hey, I'm going to fight off these temptations. I'm going to fight them off with the truth because I'm going to submit to the Father in his own timing. You see, by relying on the power of God's word, Jesus was willing to fight this battle as a man. Not as God, as man. That's key for us in the person so he could relate to us in our own humanity. We're gonna be tempted, y'all. We have been tempted. (laughs) But Jesus is showing us a way. Even when we're hungry for things we desire and want, there is a proper place and timing and submission to God's will. It's not even I have to reject bread the rest of my life. It just made me that God's saying, hey, not right now. Does that make any sense? You have to remember, God's created everything for our enjoyment, but in his time, in his way, not in our own time, in our own way. All right, the second temptation, here we go. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. That just sounds stupid, doesn't it? I mean, the devil could come up with a better one, but here we go. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The temptation here for Jesus is to force the hand of God. It's to force the Father to act, to intervene, to put himself in a crisis situation. Say, God, if you're really real, catch me. But we do that sometimes, don't we? God is... If she looks at me this way, I'll know you're good and that we're going to get married. (laughs) Right? God, if he asks me out, I know he's the one. It's like, man, I'm telling you right now, we are people. He is God. We do not dictate to him. We can pray. We can ask the Lord, but to demand or put ourselves in a situation to then say, hey, I'm going to force God to move and do something Because of my decision, that is, Jesus is combating that right here. The devil's tempting him to force the hand of God, to test him. That is not the position that we are in. We don't demand from God. It's the mindset of God, if you do this, then I will do this. We are here to serve him, to submit to him. But you know, what's interesting is that in Psalm 91, which the devil's quoting from. Remember, the devil knows the scripture. He says, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. He left that part out. The devil did. To guard you in all your ways. On their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. This text is falsely quoted by the devil because the devil left out the words to guard you in all your ways. And this text is wrongly applied Because it was not used to teach or encourage, but instead to deceive. The response from Jesus here warns us against demanding something spectacular from God to prove his love for us. 
God does not have to prove his love for us. He's already done that. He's already doing it by the fact that we are alive and breathing. Like right now, his love is present. Jesus responds with a passage from Deuteronomy 6, 16. You shall put, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him in Massah. I looked it up and essentially that was a time in Israel's history to where they tested God by doubting his love and concern for them. They were, um, they were disregarding his previous acts of love and commitment to them as a people. So Jesus is saying, hey, I'm not to test God as it's been tested in the past. His love is clear for me. I don't doubt my father's love for me. The devil is trying to get him to doubt the love of the father. Because if I jump and you don't get me, what's that mean? You don't love me. Right? We do that, right? God, if I do this and you don't come through, that means you don't care. And it's like, that's not the way it works. He's not a genie. Three wishes. <laughs> There's been lots of things I've actually asked for and prayed for I've not seen happen. But you know what? I'm not angry at God. Because I'm just like, I'm just a little human. Lord, if having your way, if this is meant to be, awesome. If it's not, I'm good. Right? I, I, I love it. And I can never get away from Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in the fiery furnace. Hey, you can burn us. Our God will save us. But if he doesn't, we're still not bowing down. They weren't demanding God save them. What they were saying is based off his faithfulness and his record with us, we believe he will. But if he doesn't, we'll be okay. Because then we'll burn up and we'll be with him anyways. Like that is the heart he wants us to have. Come on, bring it on. Bring it on, devil. I'm not concerned by you. I will not give in to you. I will not bow down to you. I will not test my God. He is God. He knows what's good for me. But you can only say that if you know the Father's heart for you. You can only say that if you know that he loves you. If you don't know that God loves you, then yes, you're probably questioning and doubting that all the time and looking for key indicators of how you can test him so that he proves his love to you. Because a lot of us see God as we see our parents. And if we don't have a good relationship with our parents and our parents didn't come through at times, then we chalked it up to our parents to love us. And maybe they do, maybe they don't. I don't know. Maybe they show it in different ways, right? But we don't see God like that. God, he is love. But man... We are so tempted to test him, aren't we? You know, what's interesting is how the devil twists these words here. Um, you know, he's really good at taking snippets and turning them into lies that whisper in our ears, right? And he actually, we're, we're, we're actually good at that too. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're going to take his stuff out of context, okay? So I'll just share a couple of things. Not to knock anybody. I'm probably taking these out of context too. So just, you know... Don't cry over it, but just a couple examples, all right? <laughs> Philippians 4.13, right? You ever heard that one in sports? I can do all things through him who strengthens me, right? All right, well, it's not about having a competitive edge in sports, just so you know. Paul writes this while awaiting trial and potential execution for preaching about Jesus' resurrection. Paul's encouraging the Philippian church to endure their suffering by remembering that Christ, who overcame death, is the source of their strength. So that's a little different than sports, right? Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you be not judged, 
right? So people take this one to mean that nobody has authority to assert that there is clear right and wrong. Sound familiar? You can't tell me what's wrong or right. It's my truth. It's, no, 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 you don't have any truth. There is the word of God truth. It, there is clear right and wrong. But we take this, hey, don't judge me. And it's like, no, 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 no. In this verse, it's meant that humans, um, uh, if this verse meant that humans must stop judging each other, then we ought to terminate our justice system, trusting God to intervene and punish people who commit crimes. And certainly our society, um, our society is stronger for establishing rules to govern what behavior will tolerate and what must be stopped. If you take that, then you just say, great, everyone can do what they want, free for all. And that is chaos. Romans 13.1, this verse says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, right? Well, taken out of context, people interpret this to mean that we should just blindly follow any political leader. People um, uh, trusting God to work through them. However, what, happen, what happens when authorities use their power to harm society, right? The Egyptians enslaved the Hebrews, and God empowered Moses to overthrow this regime. King Darius was so upset by Daniel's worship of God that he punished Daniel, what would have been a certain death, and the lion's den. Jesus became enraged at the temple when he saw people making a profit off of sacrifices and flip tables over. The point is this. We don't have to be Bible scholars. I don't think any of us are. If you are, come talk to me. That'd be great. I'd love to talk to you more. But we're not Bible scholars. We're just simple people that are just trying to read the word. And when we read it and we misinterpret it, don't come and bash someone over the head with it and say, hey, man, have you read it like this before? And help each other out. I don't think it's our heart to deceive or mislead one another, even ourselves. But as we're maturing and growing in Christ, there has to be a place where we're able to encourage and help each other understand the scriptures and how they were written and the context by which the things are said that they are meant to be interpreted for. Therefore, passages like this, the more you know the truth, right, then the clarity you have to then combat the devil and temptations and to live this life. But if you don't know the passages, if you don't read the Bible or have much context there, you're left up to everybody else's interpretation. And again and again, you know, people say that, whatever, we live in a biblically illiterate time. You know, I don't know. I don't know if I could judge that. I'm not sure. There's people, a couple of years ago, half the world couldn't read. So I don't know. That seemed pretty biblically illiterate. But, you know, um, but like, here's, here's what I can say, at least. Um, more than any time in history, you have access to the Bible. Everybody does. I mean, pretty much everybody. A few places in the world don't. Okay, we're trying to get that into there. But like in America, you have access to the Bible. You have so much access, it's like we don't even read it. It's so available, we'd like forget to chew on it. Does it make sense? That's what happens. But I want us to remember, oh man, the word. That's what keeps us grounded. That's what keeps us clear. When things come at us and situations and political things or social things are happening or in our families or conflicts, it's like, where do we go? Where's the source? The word of God will help guide us and give us the clarity we need. All right, temptation three. Here's the last one. All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God uh, yeah, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. You got to remember, Satan was an angel a long time ago. And 
he had a deep desire to have the glory that God had. He wanted to be worshiped. He wanted to be recognized. So Satan craves and desires worship for himself and recognition, okay? And so he here says to Jesus, hey, guess what? I'll give you all this, all these kingdoms. And Jesus responds again from Deuteronomy. He loves Deuteronomy. Chapter six, it is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you off the face of the earth. Whoa! It's like, man, that's a heavy-hitting little passage there. See, the temptation cannot have been real unless there is some real sense that Satan did, in some sense, possess all the kingdoms of the world. You see, Adam and his descendants gave the devil this authority. God gave Adam the earth as a stewardship, and Adam willingly turned it over to Satan. And after that, guess what? All of Adam's descendants cast their vote of approval by our personal sin. What was given to Adam to steward this earth, he gave away to the devil. Jesus came and rescued us and made a way for us to have the sin removed from our lives and follow him and know him and be restored rightly back to God as God intended in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. But it doesn't mean that the devil has lost all of his power on planet earth. He's still very real. And if you don't believe me, then just look up data statistics around the planet. The tragedies, the murders, the wars, the crime, the atrocities that are happening. The devil's very real. Sin is very powerful. And so the response for us in this age is James 4, 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Which is what Jesus just does, right? So it says that the devil left him means that Jesus won this battle. He won because he recognized Satan's mode of attack. You ready? It's pretty simple. Here's how Satan attacks. Lies and deception. You can write that one down if you want. The devil attacks with lies and deception. So am I believing lies? Am I lied to? Am I deceived? Right? Like, this is the source of the devil. This is what he does. This is how he unravels relationships and people and starts to put doubts and questions in our mind about God and about one another. It's lies and deception. He is a deceiver. And deception is extremely effective at leading us into sin and at causing us to live lives of fear and unbelief. Anyone know anybody the last couple of years that had a lot of fear, a lot of unbelief? I mean, I'm pretty sure most of the planet. Um, the amount of fear and unbelief that just got saturated across our world, the hope just got like demolished. And the fear just increased. It multiplied. The unbelief multiplied across the world, across churches, sadly. But you know what? What that means to me is that the church has a fresh task in this hour. It is to combat the lies and deception of the devil and to restore people back to relationship with God, to restore them with the truth of who God is and who they are. 
I mean, honestly, one of the biggest battles of our day is helping people understand that they were created by God for a purpose, they are valued, and they have a meaning and a worth in this world. If you can get that clearly across to someone's heart and mind, that's a huge battle you win. Because now it says, oh, I actually matter. I love how Billy put it last week, <clears throat> talking about we're the body of Christ, that every single person has a role to play. Every person makes up the body. There is value. The church, in essence, is saying everyone who's part of it is part of something larger than themselves, part of something Jesus is returning, coming back for one day, and is a key person, part of that body moving and shaking and happening. That's so encouraging. There is no one that's saying, hey, we don't need you here. We want you here. Now, we have to figure out as a team, as a family, where is everybody's place in terms of serving or contribution? But beyond serving and contribution, you have a place by just being here in the body. Does that make sense? I want you to know that. Even if you're on the journey of figuring out, well, how do I get involved or plugged in? Just by being present, shaking a hand, Praying for someone, saying hello, being a support, being an encourager, discipling someone, showing up to a life group, being here on a Sunday morning, worshiping with us collectively, corporately, you are part of this body. Of course, we want every part of the body fully functioning and feeling great. Feeling like, man, I am really in my zone. That's what we would love to have. That doesn't always happen. It takes a lot of work, but that is our harsh desire. That is how we believe we are going to continue to go on this path of becoming a radiant church to where everybody together, collectively, we're radiating. It's like, oh man, the glory's here. There's joy in this house. There's friendship in this house. There's understanding in this house. There's forgiveness in this house. There is love and mercy and grace in this house. I'm going to invite the band to come on up as we close this morning. Hopefully what you saw today is that Jesus showed us a way. He showed us a way to, to effectively counter the lies of the devil and deception. First of all, it's God's truth, not man's wisdom. Which means we have to see temptation for what it is, which is a lie. Number two, we've got to combat temptation with the word. With the word of God. And then number three... We must always build ourselves up in the truth and have it in our heart. It's not just here, it's here. It has to be us. It has to ooze out of us. It needs to be readily available on our lips. See, I believe Jesus was, was tempted um, so that every creature, every person, everything on the earth could look and say, that's our true king. That's our conquering lion. That's him. Right, I love the Narnia books. That's our Aslan. When he blows, whew, things move. When he speaks, things shudder. That's Jesus. He's the conquering lion of Judah. He defeated the devil once, and many times after, he will ultimately finish him off in the end. The devil's day is coming. He's only got so many days left. I don't know how many it is. I don't know if Jesus will return in our lifetime. That'd be pretty cool. It'd be exciting. But he may not. Maybe another 100 years, 1,000 years. I'm not really sure. Everyone seems to think it's always like within a decade. It's just wishful thinking. People are like, I don't have to plan for retirement. He's coming back, you know? So that was great. Sounds cool. Just be careful when you're there and it's like, oh, he hadn't come back yet. <laughs> so I'm going to pay the bills. 
he'll return one day. But, um, and that day, Jesus will take care of business. Until that day, though, he said, hey, I've given you the Holy Spirit. I've given you the word. You're on. It's your task. So here's my encouragement to you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I want you to go and stand as we end this morning. This is the passage I wanted to read. I'm gonna read it a couple times because I just wanted to sink in. This is who you are. If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you said, hey, Jesus, you died for me on the cross, you washed me free of my sins, the past of the past, and you've cleansed me, and now I stand holy and righteous before you, God, I have a relationship with God. If that's you, if that's who you are, this is for you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I'm gonna read it again. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And so, Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning. We say you are the conquering lion, and you have given us the power we need. You give us the word that we need. You give us the spirit that we need to face this world and to take it head on and to say we are not afraid. We are not afraid to live our lives. And when temptation comes, we know what to do with it. We hold fast to God. We resist the devil. He will flee from us. We have the truth and we can bat the devil and his lies and deception with the truth. And Lord, we say today, thank you. Thank you for giving us the model. Thank you for giving us the hope and the example that it is possible to take on the devil himself, not just demonic forces, but him, the King Darkness. You took him on as a man in a desperate place at your weakest place you defeated the greatest darkness. Or let us not forget, your power is endless. And you gave us an opportunity to access that power. That we can simply face anything and overcome it by the blood of the Lamb. Overcome it by the word of truth. Overcome it by the Holy Spirit giving us the words and the courage in that moment. Lord, let us be a people <laughs> that cling to truth, debunk the lies, that hold on to your nature and don't allow deception to enter our thoughts. Lord, we love you. And I just pray for brothers and sisters this morning, Lord, I'm asking God you to give us strength and courage in these days. Lord, we need it, Lord. We will be tested. We will be tempted. We know that. So God, we pray, would you give us the courage and the strength to make it through? Would you let us live a life that is committed to your timing and your way? Not our way, not our timing. And Lord, we wanna submit our lives to you again as a church, God. Help us to submit to you. We don't wanna just belong to an organization. We wanna be the church, the radiant church, a church that shows your glory, that expresses the fruit of the Spirit, that brings life wherever we go, individually and together, there is life. The people show up and they say, man, there's something here. There's something I'm hoping for, I'm longing for. I sense God here. I don't know what it is, but there's something. 
Lord, we want to be that kind of people that are attractive like you, Jesus. That's what we want. So we pray, help us to be a radiant church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.